Welcome to the Word from the Ancient Path, stories and sermons for the journey. It's a channel of blessing and encouragement for beloved friends all over the world to hear and experience how God speaks and works through ordinary people with an extraordinary calling. We bring you stories of good news, connecting in Christ and building the kingdom, and the Word of God declared through the pastors and missionaries of Ancient Path Ministries, La Iglesia Volviendo a la Senda Antigua. Beloved listeners and friends, I am your guide, Pastor Kevin Job, and I am very happy to be with you. Our ministry was founded in 2011 by Pastors Jose Santiago and Yami Cruz in Jovianos, Cuba. And my wife, Tani, and I serve as directors and chief connection makers for the U.S. branch of the ministry. Together, we have a great team of pastors, missionaries, advisors, and kingdom servants who are dedicated to planting churches and spreading the reach of the gospel. We pray that you are blessed and inspired by these sermons, reflections, and our testimony of what God has done and is doing in and through us. As this episode is posting, the traditional Christian calendar has just arrived at the season called Lent. Now, people get confused about what Lent is because it seems like a funny word. And if you see news reports about the season, it can be really strange. People spend a whole Wednesday walking around with ashes on their foreheads and they... And they start pledging not to eat meat or sweets or watch TV or use social media until Easter. And you think, huh? There's got to be more to it than that, right? I mean, what does that word even mean? Well, the word Lent comes from an old English term, lengthen, which means the lengthening or spring season. Well, great, Kevin, but what's that have to do with Resurrection Day? Uh, well, maybe we can specify a little bit more with the Spanish term for Lent, which is cuaresma, which means 40. The spring season of Lent is observed over the 40 weekdays prior to the Resurrection Day. We're getting there, right? But those habits, what's up with all of that? You know, uh, Well, other languages use a term for the season that calls it a fasting season. Now, fasting is when you take a break from something for a period of time. In the Bible, this pretty much always means food. And Jesus speaks of fasting alongside prayer and charity as an everyday practice of faithful believers. So on the first of 40 days, we put the ashes on our heads as a symbol of mortality. And then, like in the Bible, it's an important period, 40 days. We recall the 40 days that Jesus fasted in the desert wilderness. And Christians today relinquish a few things so that we can echo a little bit the sacrifice of Jesus. But if you'll pardon the pun, the real meat of Lent is... Well, very much related to the word that we brought you last week, holiness. And holiness is one of the highest callings that we can receive as a believer. The early church apostle Peter in his letter called First Peter in chapter 1 says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Every believer, every disciple of Jesus is called to a holy life. Now living in this world and being made holy is hard. Standing up so high in a world whose every desire is that we wallow in the mud can be scary. And so today, since the call of holiness is so high and we are so fearfully and wonderfully made, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, vertigo. Now, what's vertigo? <laughs> well, vertigo is an equilibrium disease or disorder um, where your sense of balance and logic and proportion can get thrown off. I have had vertigo and I can tell you it's not fun. When you're suffering from an episode of vertigo, fear comes. We associate the condition most often with the fear of heights or fear of falling. And that's because the world around us begins to spin and our perspective warps. Balance is difficult and it's often to the point of nausea or even physical disorientation. In a spiritual sense, trying to stay on the path with God 
in a world that is strayed so far off of it can be a fearful experience. In the scripture, when we encounter Jesus in the time of his ministry, he's almost always said to be on the way to Jerusalem because that's the destination for him. That's where he will die so that we can be made whole and we can be made holy. And his path starts in a moment of serious awe and wonder. Jesus' baptism is God's first revelation of his adult son to the world. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What a beautiful moment. Everything is well. I mean, there's literally no position higher than having the creator of the universe call you beloved, say he loves you, and that he's pleased with you. When Jesus became the incarnation of God on earth, he became fully human while still being fully God. And so Jesus not only lives out the means of grace and blessing times like baptism, he also has to live through our fears and our hunger and our weakness. In the scriptural account, there is the baptism, the touch of heaven, a moment when it feels like the relationship between heaven and earth and all of creation will be aligned again forever. And then something seemingly unbelievable happens. In the very next sentence, the story says, immediately Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. I read that and I think, what the? Immediately after heaven and earth are joined in a way not seen since the early pages of Genesis, the Spirit leads Jesus out to be tempted by the overlord of hell? It's harsh, man. Now, we attempt to approach the temptation story in a very strange way. I mean, uh, perhaps we read it with an educated British accent, like for some reason it happens that way in all of the audio Bibles, you know? Or sometimes we come to it like Jesus just is floating painlessly around through 40 days in the wilderness and he just flicks Satan off his shoulder like, like Satan's just some sort of hellborn gnat. But really, it's a nightmare. It's full of fear. Jesus' temptation is one of a few key moments in Scripture where we see the dirty, the gritty battle between our good God and the evil enemy. And, and so across my years of preaching and presenting this story, I have always looked for a way of sharing it that comes closer to capturing the edginess and the, the agony and the incredible intensity of it. Last year, I managed to compact it into a video clip that I think is pretty close. And, well, obviously, in this format, the visual is impossible. So I'm just going to give you the closest that I can give you in sound um, of the experience of the bread and the vertigo. Immediately, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Hello, said the tempest. If you are the, the Son of God, well then, well then, tell these stones to become bread.
Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and all of their splendor. Then, looking down from the heights, Satan said, Just bow and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended it. The temptation in all of its rock and roll angst. We're gonna take a moment now for a short break. Stay with us for more on the Ancient Path. In Ancient Path Ministries, our greatest hope is to carry the light of the kingdom of God in the places where it is most needed. We wanna see people set free from what holds them captive and offer salvation in Christ to people lost in darkness. We want to live as examples, the oaks of righteousness planted to display God's splendor. Now, our ministry is built on connections in Christ, and our financial foundation depends on the regular partnership of beloved friends such as you. If you'd be interested in becoming a covenant financial partner or just contribute to the work of the ministry, I invite you to visit our website, ancientpathministries.org. Check out the church in action and see how you can be a part of bringing good news, connecting in Christ, Building the kingdom. And we are back. So is our Jesus fully human or fully divine? Well, the answer is yes to both. We're going to look a little bit more into the story of Matthew 4 because we can feel the tension of those identities in, in this passage. By becoming fully human, Jesus, as the incarnation of God, lives out our plight. He goes through our temptations and our weaknesses and our fears. Yet we need to understand that God will work in the middle of all that to perfect us in love and show us a better way. So Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert, and he has no food, and he's there for 40 days. And fully human Jesus has reached a stage where it's likely that his organs have started to shut down. And then Matthew 4, verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The enemy starts by by questioning Jesus' identity, and he tempts him to reach for the wrong thing to satisfy his hunger. And with his stomach empty for over a month, Jesus instead reaches into the truth. He quotes scripture. He reaches back to God's law. And in the words of Moses, he says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then we go to the heights. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, again questioning his identity, throw yourself down. It's written that he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Identity question 2.0. Satan then tries to proof text Jesus, right? You get that? You know how, what it means to proof text, to use the scripture to say what you want it to say, even if that isn't what it means? Now, none of us have ever done that, I'm sure. I'm, I'm just saying that's what the devil is doing here. So we're on the highest point in all of Jerusalem, and Jesus in his mortal and weakened human body has been without nourishment for 40 days. So you're looking down off the highest place, and you can feel the place spinning, right? Can you imagine it being filthy with a desert dust that clogs your nose and your lungs, and it blinds your eyes, and it fills every pore of your sunburnt skin? And there's Jesus with his dried out tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth and he knows what it is to be in the presence of God's warrior angels. <laughs> it might feel really good right now to be lifted up in some heavenly immortal strength to know that dad has still got him, you know? And that's how we get. We get tempted to dishonor God, to distort the word, to flex privilege and get prideful and test the angels. But Jesus doesn't even bother to address the lie that Satan tries to make. He instead goes back to the word as the word was intended. And he says, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's like he's saying, are you really going to question who I am at this point, Satan? So the enemy goes for a new tactic, going once again to a very high place and says, all of this can be yours if you just worship me. All the kingdoms of the world. Now think about it for a minute. Everybody wants to rule the world. <laughs> Jesus, who is fully God, knows every kingdom of the world through all time. And that is a boatload of earthly splendor. Every kingdom throughout history, all of this can be yours. Just give me what I want and no one gets hurt. Jesus is again tempted and this time to worship the wrong things. And you know, sometimes there's temporary reward in misplaced allegiance. A lot of seemingly good things can come your way if you pledge yourself to something that's attractive. But the cost is always far greater. To worship God requires taking the long view. And Jesus, who's still not eaten and is likely dizzy from hunger and height, in his full humanity has to choose. And of course, he makes the right choice. He says, get away from me, Satan. It's written, worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Time. I don't think we need people with less fear. We just simply need to fear less things. We fear not having what we need. And so the enemy shows up and says, hey, have some of this. We fear missing out, right? Oh, we're good at that. And the enemy says, well, you might as well jump then. We fear being out of control of our lives. And so the enemy looks at us and says, all of this could be yours. But one fear is right. One fear is essential. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And when our fear is misplaced, then we get tempted to depend on things other than God. Have you ever felt like that? But you have. I think this is part of why Jesus tells us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Right? I mean, he'd been through it. That's so why he knows that it stinks. So how is it that we're tempted? I mean, what throws off your God balance, right? What makes you want to turn the stones to bread uh, to take the leap and test God's saving power or pledge your loyalty to something evil in return for an immediate gain? Think about it. Where is it that you get dizzy from the heights? Where, where do you fear that God won't provide for you or that God can't save you or that God simply isn't enough for you? Is it ambition? You want power? Money? 
Or is it a need for approval? You need status. You need attention. Or are you fighting angst, right? You want some freedom from pain, whether that's physical or emotional or spiritual. Or maybe you suffer from arrogance, right? You, you just have a disbelief in God generally or a much stronger belief in your own self-sufficiency. Or maybe it's an appetite. An appetite for sex or drugs or drink or food or whatever you might have addiction to. All of us have these places where we tend to give ourselves over to false gods. So I invite you to think what's on your list. Where, where is it that you fall in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, listen, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so you can endure it. So whenever you encounter your greatest temptations and misplaced fears, you, you need to know you don't have to face them alone. The Holy Spirit is in you. And God gives you fellow disciples who can support you. So, so I want to encourage you, lean in. Lean into the Lord and to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And let fear's hold on you be removed. When you are tempted to fear the wrong things, don't forget that you aren't alone. And remember that there's a way out. So in closing, let me share that Composing this message has not been easy for me, and recording it even still. Because as a human who is still prone to temptation, and who is still fearful of being led by the Spirit into the wilderness, there's tension going on in me right now. Because I don't speak to you from a position of complete freedom from temptation. I'm not totally holy just yet. I'm not even close. Now, be holy for I am holy, that's a command of God, absolutely. And it's all over the Bible. It's in the Old and New Testaments. And oftentimes I read it and I think there's just no way. No way I will ever get there. But then I have to be reminded and renewed in mind just enough to remember something important. Be holy for I am holy is also a promise from God. And I know this. Because God doesn't command us to be something that he can't make us to be. And so when the tempter shows up, when hunger and vertigo and the dazzle of false promises are swirling, whenever we struggle, Jesus understands because he's been there. And he goes into the wilderness with us. And as we stand on the heights and get dizzy or hang on by our fingernails, Jesus steadies us. And we can trust in his holiness, even as our own holiness is not yet made perfect. And so, beloved friends, this brings us to the close of today's episode. So thanks for joining us. Once again, be sure to check out our website, ancientpathministries.org. Like and follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Ancient Path Ministries. This is Pastor Kevin Job for Ancient Path Ministries, La Iglesia Volviendo a la Senda Antigua. We look forward to seeing you next time. Que Dios te bendiga mucho. Go be the church. Mm-hmm.